0: Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. It is G3 2020 and we're back for another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am Daryl Harrison. Oma. Oh <laughs> what's up, bro? What's up, my brother? Man, here we are live and in living color at the 2020 G3 conference in my hometown of ATL. And I have to say it's good to be back on Georgia soil. Now, I say that because many of our listeners to the Just Thinking podcast already know uh, my wife Melissa and I relocated to Southern California about a year ago. In fact, it was a year ago on January 12th, so just a couple days ago, so that I could join the staff at grace to You which is the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur, which I'm sure many of our audience is familiar with. Now, I know you've attended previous G3 conferences in the past, but this 2020 conference is the first for me, even though I'm from Atlanta. So I want to take this opportunity, first of all, to thank Josh Bice and everyone at Praise Mill Baptist Church and his entire G3 conference team for inviting the Just Thinking team, including our boy, Dwayne Atkinson, who is here. Uh, Dwayne Atkinson who does all our post-production uh, for the podcast. Dwayne is known to us affectionately as the hardest-working man in podcast land. So thanks to Josh Vice for inviting us to be part of this great conference. And hopefully nothing we say today will tarnish or detract from that excellent reputation well, it's, that it's this early, conference has so It's <laughs> early, we'll It see. is early, yeah. though. Now, having said all that, and I know we're on the clock here, which is something you and I aren't really used to, uh, is there anything you want to say, Omaha, before we dive into our topic of this
0: live recording of the Just Thinking podcast on woke worship? Well, no, I just want to, again, reiterate what my brother said. I, th- I think you did a great job of covering everything. I- I'm-, I'm just curious, really quickly, how many of you have never heard of the Just Thinking podcast? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a oh, there's a few of you oh, there. Okay. okay, good. Well, listen. Welcome. We're glad that you decided to come to make this a, a part of your afternoon session with us. Uh, our hope is that you'll be impacted in such a way that you'll subscribe uh, to the podcast. Thanks for coming out and being a part of this special uh, live edition. Like you, brother, I'm incredibly humbled uh, by the opportunity to be here. Uh, grateful for the opportunity, and again, thanks to Josh Vice for the early opportunity. It was an early ask. He asked us very early in the process uh, to become part of the. the 2020 G3 conference. Truth be told, with all that's that's happening, I think it's going to be the absolute best conference yet. So I'm going to turn it back over to you so you can kick us off, man.
1: Yeah, so having been invited to do a live podcast here at the 2020 G3 conference, we knew coming in that we wanted to land on a topic that was in keeping with the overall theme of the broader conference, which of course is worship. And with that as the backdrop, Omaha, you suggested to me the topic of woke worship and all that that might entail particularly in light of the current socio-cultural milieu in which we find ourselves. And I thought that was a good idea both as a, a topic for the conference and just a timely topic for us to discuss in general. Now, having landed on the topic of woke worship, as we began to prepare for this special G3 conference live episode of the Just and Podcast, you sent me a quote, Omaha, by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., mm-hmm in order to help establish some much-needed context around what it is we want to discuss in terms of what woke worship is and why it is a fitting topic for us to discuss at this conference. Now, it's a quote that I would venture to say is not all that unfamiliar to many of our listeners as it has been cited quite often over the many decades since these words were first uttered. And the quote is this. This is from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., "Quote: I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour, in Christian America. I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated, and any church that stands against integration and has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Unquote. That was a verbatim quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which he said at Meet the Press, on Meet the Press, April 17th, 1960. Now, Omaha, you developed a thesis around why that quote from Dr. King is so germane to our discussion today about woke worship. And I really want to just ask you to take a couple of moments to share with our audience here and those who will listen to this what that thesis is.
0: I definitely want to walk you through the thesis, so so it's pretty, you know, impactful. So I want to take the time to walk through it slowly. I also want you to consider some of the commentary that I'll provide thereafter. So here's the thesis of the idea based upon that quote. Dr. King's statement in 1960 has been repeated time and time again as a clarion call of something that is sinful that must be happening. Uh, In numerous articles, speeches, and books since 1960— Many have pointed to a number of problems believed to be the root cause of this issue. Some point to worship style, whether it be music or preaching, while others point to something more sinister within white leadership or patriarchy. We intend to examine the truthfulness of this statement and determine an appropriate biblical response to how the church is to gather, and when gathered, how we are to worship the triune God. So. That's the thesis behind kind of what the ground will cover during our time together. Now, but by way of commentary, um, I, I was, I've been motivated, Daryl, by, by uh, woke evangelicalism's so-called virtue of diversity, they've coined diversity as a virtue, and I thought it would be a good topic for us to evaluate. And while the quote from Dr. King actually took place in 1960, uh, you would think that that issues around around ethnic relations, race relations—we'll put race in air quotes—behind race relations are actually worse today mm-hmm. than they were during the 1960s civil rights movement. So I went back through our archive. And examine some of the, some of the calls that we had regarding racial reconciliation and diversity and how you and I have addressed the issue here on the Just Thinking podcast. And as I began to walk through our, our library, it's abundant. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've covered a guided exodus or misguided expectation, uh, sin by proxy, which man, you did a fantastic job on that, artificial diversity, identity crisis, The church, one church, one body. I mean, these are just a handful of the titles that, that are, that pertain to the subject matter that you and I have covered. Now we've spent at least ten, you know, ten hours on those alone of recording time on the subject, not to mention the tens of hours Mm -hmm. that we spend in preparation for such subjects. So I really thought in my mind that we would be especially positioned to address the ideas around woke worship. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, something that stood out to me in the thesis you laid out Omaha is that You said that many have pointed to a number of problems believed to be the root cause of this issue with the words this issue referring to the assertion by Dr. King that 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings is the quote-unquote most segregated hour in America as if it is the job of the church to ensure that during that hour or any other hour for that matter that the church reflects a certain variety or shall I say a certain diversity among its congregants especially as it relates to the level of melanin possessed by those who gather together at that particular time to worship. But in thinking through Dr. King's statement against the thesis that you just presented, Omaha, my questions are these, okay? Is what Dr. King asserting actually an issue in the evangelical church? Is it actually an issue? or or, and, And on what biblical basis can it be said to be a problem? And why would the absence of ethnic diversity within a local congregation be a problem to begin with? So Now, indeed, there are many people, as you stated earlier, Omaha, who in fact do believe it to be a problem. But that belief, I would argue, is rooted in an ecclesiastical and theological mirage. Now, I say that because nowhere in the New Testament is the church mandated, either by Christ or by his apostles, To, as many people today would often argue, reflect the, that the church should reflect the ethnic diversity of the communities in which it exists and serves. Now, woke evangelicals and evangelical social justicians perpetuate that idea under the unfounded and extra-biblical notion that multi-ethnic worship is a quote-unquote gospel issue. You hear them say that all the time. But the thing is, Omaha, having people of different ethnicities sitting next to one another on those seemingly ubiquitous red crushed velvet pews of your local church doesn't mean you have a multi-ethnic church. All that means is that you have a group of people of multiple ethnicities congregating together under the same roof. That's all you have. So that's all that means. And listen, notwithstanding, okay, notwithstanding the unfounded assertion that 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in America, the fallacy of woke worship is that having a multi-ethnic congregation is tantamount to having a multi-ethnic church. And as we all know, ethnicity is the golden calf, okay? Ethnicity is the golden calf of the social gospel. But that kind of emphasis on ethnic diversity within the church invites us to consider this question. What actually constitutes a church to begin with? That's good. That's good. Okay? That's the one question that no evangelical social justician is asking. What actually constitutes a church to begin with? Well, Charles Spurgeon answered that question this way. Spurgeon said, quote, By the term, by the term, the church... I mean the whole body of believers throughout the world and in heaven too, for they together form the one general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, unquote. That's Charles Spurgeon's definition of what the church is, and I completely agree with him. What Spurgeon makes unarguably clear here is that by definition, the church is composed of believers in Jesus Christ. So logically follows that a church must be defined by that same standard. Listen, you can easily have a multi-ethnic congregation and not have a multi-ethnic church. Because by definition, a congregation is merely a gathering of people in the same place. You can have two people and have a congregation. Okay, but unless your multi-ethnic congregation is comprised of multi-ethnic believers in Jesus Christ, then guess what? You don't have a multi-ethnic church. And even if your church is multi-ethnic, so what? Ethnicity is not salvific.
0: Okay. Okay,
1: Okay. hold up. Uh, What? Hold up.
0: What? Where's my Hammond B? Where's the mascot? Somebody cue the mascot. That was so nice. You got to say that twice, brother.
1: Yeah, I'll say it again. Even if your church is multi-ethnic, that's irrelevant. Ethnicity is not salvific. Okay, remember that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. Paul says this, for this, and of course, I'm quoting from, the non-Armenian Standard Bible. Did somebody translation.
0: try to clap on that?
1: Give it up for the non-Armenian Standard Bible translation. The Apostle Paul says this in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also Performs its work in you who believe. Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians 2.8. So it is the gospel. It is the word of God alone that saves. Critical race theory doesn't save you. Intersectionality doesn't save you. Experiential worship doesn't save you. In the end, what does woke worship get you? What does woke worship get you if all it accomplishes is to achieve some kind of superficial or aesthetic objective, one that may be of benefit in marketing your church to people to whom the ethnic diversity of your church matters. But ultimately, it accomplishes nothing that is of any eternal or spiritual value. In other words, what is it profit a church to gain a congregation that is woke, yet lose their souls because they were woke and lost? Come on!
0: Omaha, what you got on that man bruh that right there will preach man the fact that you said ethnicity is not salvific um that is huge it shouldn't be though right these these are common truths that we should go yeah I mean mm. that's not a that, right. that's not that big a deal but it runs counterculture to everything that's established by woke evangelicalism now for those who adhere to black liberation theology the black liberation theology of James Cone… Ethnicity, and in particular, blackness is salvation. Right. Right? It, it's, it's Cone who offers salvation to whites only on the basis of their ability to repent of their whiteness. Mm-hmm. And really salvation only comes through the means of them encountering someone who is indeed black. Mm-hmm. We've got to know these things about woke evangelicalism, so that we can have a clear understanding of where they're coming from. I also agree with you that the golden calf of of woke evangelicalism is a multi ethnic congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and dear, you you point out often that God is the one who is in charge of His church. Mm-hmm. God's the one who's in charge of adding to the number of His church, and as long as those congregations aren't uh, are, are not exclusionary to, toward those of diverse backgrounds, there really shouldn't be a problem. However, one of the issues, man, that I wanted to raise at this point uh, is, the, is, the, is that the idea that the need for diversity uh, to obtain a multi-ethnic congregation as an objective is never a charge laid at the mm-hmm. foot of black congregations. Mm-hmm. Never. Never is. The presupposition behind the challenge is that the dominant culture, and by that I mean white culture, is sinfully at fault for mm-hmm. their all-white congregation. Mm-hmm and that all black congregations are virtuous victims of some sort of oppression that's caused by, that causes their their uh, congregations mm-hmm. to be black mm-hmm. uh, and those are the kinds of things that we need to consider when dealing with these particular issues i'm always challenged by the idea that a multi ethnic congregation is a gospel issue mm-hmm. if by gospel issue what is meant is that the gospel of Christ has broken down the wall of hostility, right? If if that's what's meant and that that there's no hostility now between blacks and whites and those of different ethnic groups, uh, as we see in Ephesians chapter two, I'm all for that. But if, however, what is meant by gospel issue is that we somehow have to do something in order to obtain racial reconciliation and that what is now needed is for church leaders to identify a black a Hispanic, an Asian, mm-hmm. and a white female to be on the praise team <laughs> so that somebody on the platform looks like us. Right. I completely disagree. This right. is foolishness of the highest order mm-hmm. and needs to be repented of.
1: I completely agree, brother. Absolutely. You nailed it. So we're talking about woke worship in this special episode of the Just Thinking Podcast at the, live at the G3 Conference 2020. Listen to what John MacArthur says about worship in his book, entitled Worship, the Ultimate Priority. This is what John MacArthur says in his book about worship. Quote, Perhaps the greatest need in all of Christendom is for a clear understanding of the biblical teaching about worship. When the church fails to worship properly, it fails in every other area, and the world is suffering because of its failure. Much of the world offers false worship, the kind of worship that focuses on material things, on ritual or form. If not these things, we offer the kind of worship that follows a self-styled form designed to please the worshipers. And even in the best cases, our worship is offered with a wrong or half-hearted attitude. God will not accept such worship on its own merits. The Bible is explicit on that. Unquote. That was Dr. John MacArthur from his book, from his book Worship, the ultimate priority. You know, Omaha, when you think critically about the concept of woke worship and reduce it to its most fundamental level, what you realize is that woke worship is all about aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that woke worship concerns itself with how the church looks on the outside, particularly in terms of those external and often superficial characteristics and attributes, which is what I mean by aesthetics, that factor into an individual's subjective worship experience, and how that individual's personal experience helps to advance the broader narrative of what I like to call identity ecclesiology, which is but one aspect of the broader social gospel. That's good. Identity ecclesiology is the common thread in all of this. And what do I mean by identity ecclesiology? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Identity ecclesiology is just another name for woke worship. I define identity ecclesiology as having a paradigm of the local church in which its style of preaching, its style of music, the composition of its congregation in terms of ethnicity or sex or any other such demographic identifier or the programs and conveniences the church offers, such as coffee bars and baristas, that make attending church
0: more worthwhile to you personally. Man, you're going to get us in trouble, man, when you said baristas, man. We were good until you threw that part in. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) I don't care. I know you don't. And you know that. I already know.
1: know, so, So in other words, all the aesthetic qualities that may comprise how a church conducts its worship must be such that you identify with or give to that church your personal stamp of approval solely on the basis that those aesthetics happen to align with your personal ecclesiastical preferences. That's that's what I mean by identity ecclesiology. The church and its programs, its worship elements must identify, you must connect with that personally first before you will give credence or validity to that church. That's what I mean by identity ecclesiology. Christ and the propagation of his gospel is secondary to someone who holds to a paradigm of identity ecclesiology. What you got to say about that, Omaha? No,
0: I I think that's good. I completely agree. I I think the verse of scripture that often gets quoted um, by woke evangelicals is is Revelation chapter 7, verses Mm -hmm. 9 through 11, which I'm going to read from the elect standard version. (laughs) I said, after I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Mm -hmm. And you can't Mm -hmm. say that without just something welling up on the inside of you. What woke evangelicals fail to understand is that it is God's responsibility to have the goal of every nation, every ethnos, Mm -hmm. every tribe, every people, every language. Our responsibility is simply to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. It is gospel proclamation. The Bible does not instruct us to be engaged in some form of evangelistic affirmative action.
1: (laughs) Whoa, hold up. Cue the mascot on that one. <laughs> Cue the mascot on that one. Now that one verse, that was so nice. You're gonna have to say I it twice. I say it twice.
0: Yeah. The Bible does not instruct us to be engaged in some process yeah. of evangelistic affirmative action to obtain the right number of people in a particular congregation. Christ died for his elect, and those he has called will come. Amen.
1: You know, how I want to again quote the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said this. Listen to this quote. Spurgeon said, the church is not formed. This falls right in line with exactly what you just said. The church is not formed to be a social club, to to produce society for itself. It is not to be a political association, nor is it to be a power in politics. It is not even to be a religious confederacy promoting its own opinions. The church is a body created of the Lord to answer his own ends and purposes and it exists for nothing else, unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. Did you get that, Omaha? I did, yeah. Spurgeon said that the church is a body created of the Lord. Now that prepositional phrase, of the Lord, takes you and me as individuals Omaha completely out of the picture in terms of thinking that we would ever have the right or the prideful temerity to tell God how his church is supposed to look or how it is supposed to function before we decide that his church is worthy of our presence in it
0: yeah that's good that's good
1: listen to what the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 Paul says by his doing that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said this. He said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Amen. Now, if I could sum up with those two verses in First. Corinthians 1 and Matthew 11 are essentially saying it would be this that the church is not about you. Come on, man. The church is not about you. In fact, the church has never been about you. The church has existed in the mind of God since before on, the foundation of the world. Yeah, that's good. Which by logical deduction, means before you or I ever existed yeah. in the world. As the Apostle Paul writes in First Timothy chapter 1, verse nine, speaking of Christ, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So with that truth in mind, Who in the world am I to make my worship of God, particularly as it relates to the fellowshipping, the corporate fellowshipping with others of His elect, who am I to make that a matter of personal preference as if I had anything to do with the fact that I'm a member of the body of Christ to begin with? That's good. good. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel so that sinners might come to faith in Christ and consequently, by virtue of his Holy Spirit, be transformed into his image. Listen, the degree to which a lo- local church is comprised of people who look like you, okay, the degree to which a local church is comprised of people who look like you or with whom you may personally identify in other ways should never be a factor when it comes to belonging to a local church. That's good. Listen, I'm going to let you know on a little secret here just between you and me. The mission of the church is not to look more like you. The mission of the church is to help you look more like Jesus.
0: That's the mission of the church. Hit it. I got. I need my Hammond. I need my my post-production, The Hammond B3. Now, that, that was good. That, that'll preach. It was so nice. I think you need to say it twice, brother. Yeah, let me
1: say it again, man. This is just a secret, just between you and I. No one else will hear this. Right. But I'll say it again. The mission of the church is not to look more like you. The mission, the only mission of the church is to help you, to walk with you, disciple you. Yes. To minister to you so that you look more like Christ. Yeah. That's it.
0: Bottom line. I I, I I really think that's the that's the punch for what we're talking about with regard to woke well, worship. Mm-hmm. A- at the end of the day, we've got we've lost that focus. Our thought process is, and man, I've I've been guilty of it in the past. I I, I thought if if I go into a a church, I need to have so many of a percentage look like a certain level of melanin in the skin. And what's interesting is when you interact with one another, you recognize that though we may have same melanin, we may not be all that alike.
1: Can I say something here? Let me go off script for a second. Let me just say this. When you hear the phrase, what you're saying just reminds me of something. When you hear the phrase people of color, which I can't stand... But when you hear that phrase people of color, just remember one thing. We're all people of color. We we all we are all people of color. Listen, we all have melanin. It's just a matter of what degree. Okay? So don't fall for those those terms such as people of color and uh 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 racial reconciliation. Let me tell you something. Scripture, okay, biblically speaking, there is no such thing as race. The Bible does not teach race. The Bible teaches that there are ethnicities, not races. If you happen to have your Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Highlight it, underline it, circle it. The word nation in that text is actually translated in the Greek as the word ethnos, from where we get the English word, ethnicity. Acts seventeen twenty six, and from one man, he created all people, all nations, to live on the face of the earth. That word, nations, is the Greek word, ethnicity. The Bible does not teach race. Please stop using that word. The proper biblical term is ethnicity. Okay, I just want to take a little detour. Do it. Right there to make that point. Brian, your show, show, so we can do
0: what you want to do. All so. right, do your thing, okay. bro. Now, I, I think that's that's it's important. One of the things that, that Daryl and I both have been really trying to push forward is the idea that we have to maintain biblical categories. Exactly. If if we don't maintain biblical categories and we begin to do what culture suggests by way of definitions, we'll be totally off track and outside of step of what God intends with regard to scripture. Let me see this. I also like what you shared from Spurgeon. Uh most of what's being addressed regarding multi ethnic congregations is the idea that somehow we need to reflect the intersectionality of the culture. So what gets ampl- amplified in the culture is not, not our oneness, but our difference. Scripture amplifies our oneness in Christ. And so what we need to be th- what we need to be thoughtful of is again the, the text of Scripture, Acts 17, 26. We need to understand what Scripture says about how we're united as one. In Christ. Uh, this this is more social experimentation rather than gospel proclamation. It has a man-centered focus rather than a Christ-exalting, God-glorifying purpose. And we need to be mindful of those things.
1: You know, woke worship is rooted in a gross misperception and misunderstanding that the church exists for you and not for Christ. Absolutely. That the church exists for us. To say that a church must establish or legitimize its existence or purpose through the subjective prism of my personal preferences or experiences is the height of arrogance and pride. Listen, I know a lot of black people who wouldn't dare step foot inside of Grace Community Church, even though its pastor, John MacArthur, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest expositors of the gospel of this generation. They wouldn't step foot in Grace Community Church. Even though Grace Community Church is one of the most ethnically diverse Uh, local churches you will ever find. They won't step foot in that church simply because they aren't drawn aesthetically to Dr. MacArthur's style of preaching or the hymns that are performed by the choir and the orchestra, or, to be even more honest, because John MacArthur is white. Listen. Listen. That God bothered to save any of us. Yes, come should on. Should so humble us yes, come on. and strip us come of on. any semblance of pride that we should respond as Peter did in Luke chapter 4, verse 8, where he said, in the presence of Christ's holiness and purity, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. That should be the response of all of us. Who in the world are we to demand or declare that we need a church that has this kind of preaching or that sings that kind of music or that has people whose skin color is similar to mine so that I can identify with this church before I will become a part of it. Listen, that kind of thinking reminds me of of who we call Doubting Thomas. That kind of thinking reminds me of what Doubting Thomas said in John chapter 20, verse 25, after the disciples testified of Jesus' resurrection— Thomas said this, he said, "'Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails "'and put my finger into the place of the nails "'and put my hand into his side, I will not believe.'" I'm like, oh, really, Thomas? Okay, so let me get this straight. "'Unless you're able to do all those things "'you're demanding, unless Christ meets your demands, "'unless you see in Christ's hands The imprint of the nails and place your finger into the places where the nails were and put your hand into Christ's side, you will not believe. As if you're doing you're somehow doing Jesus a favor by professing faith in him, as if he needed you as opposed to the other way around. But the sad truth is, there are countless professing Christians walking around today who have the exact same attitude as Thomas, but about the church. Unless the style of preaching the style of music, or some other aesthetic component of how the church conducts its worship is to their personal liking and approval, they will not embrace the church as if they were somehow doing God a favor.
0: I mean, how arrogant is that, Omaha? Absolutely. What's, what are your thoughts on that? I think what's interesting to me about what you shared is is the, the, the real arrogance that is there. Furthermore, it's, it seems to be, truth be told, kind of one-sided. Indeed. Uh, what I mean is that the idea that around, that's around work, woke worship only impacts one cultural one uh, one one group, right? Yep. The majority culture. Uh, while I know there there are majority white churches, I've I've had conversations in settings with white pastors, with white church leaders who are wringing their hands, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they must do to diversify their congregations. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I'm unaware, and I've been in, in majority black church mm-hmm. settings, I'm unaware of black congregations that are doing the same. Mm-hmm. My goal in this is not to pit one against the other, mm-hmm. but it is a thought process that we can objectively sit back and look at this and ask some honest questions. Not of each other, but of scripture. Mm-hmm. I think too often we're concerned about the experience of one or the other when we all often ignore what scripture has already declared about mm-hmm. this issue is mm-hmm. that we're one in Christ. Great point. So I, I, again, we, we must all recognize that Christ has purchased our reconciliation with God through what he has done on the cross. Mm-hmm. And we need to rest in that reality. Furthermore, man, you've often said, Daryl, that races don't reconcile. Mm-hmm. People do. I mean, I thought about that. Like, if, 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 if race A was gonna reconcile with race B, who do they go see? Right. Like, who's the black representative that you go see to, right. to reconcile with the whole race? Yeah. Who, who's the white representative that you're going to send yeah. to re- Yeah. That's mind number. Every time I hear the term racial reconciliation, yeah. that's what comes to mind. Yeah. I'm like, who are you gonna go see? Yeah. Who, who, who's the black bishop or yeah. pope that's gonna represent us all? We were represented well in Christ. Indeed. Amen. And he said his work is finished. Amen. Amen. And we need to rest in that truth.
1: You know, the very term racial reconciliation is a mis- misnomer. Yeah. Uh, it's like you just alluded to a blog article I wrote and I titled it, Racists Don't Reconcile, Heart- Hearts Do. Mm-hmm. Hearts Reconcile. Ethnicity is a static attribute. It does not change. It is not, it is not dynamic at all. Your ethnicity, the color of your skin… It can't think, it can't feel, it cannot develop intent, whether ill or good. It cannot love or hate. So when someone says racial reconciliation, how does that even make sense? The very term itself begs me to look at you and identify you, first of all, not as an image bearer of God, but as, at, by your skin color. I mean, it's, it's just a very unbiblical, unscriptural uh, extra biblical, uh, just a sort of nonsensical, uh, concept to begin with. Uh, so that's just a little bit of detour of Omaha, but, b- but before I, I hand it back over to you to close this out, because I know we're up against the clock here. We're not used to that. We're not used to that. Usually, for those of you not familiar with the Just Thinking Podcast, uh, it's, it's generally a weekly podcast where Virgil and I, uh, take our time on our episodes. We've got some episodes, depending on the subject matter, that go as long as two hours. Uh, but we're up against the clock today, so we're having to, uh, adjust to a, to, 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 that sort of time frame. But
0: before I yeah, hand I it back want to get over, asked back, you know, yeah, I want- Yeah, I want we want, to We do want, want do want to get
1: asked right. back right. to the future G3s. <laughs> so, so we want to stay true to the time limit that we have. But I want to leave our listeners, before I hand it back over to you to close this out, I want to leave our listeners with these words from the hymn, The Church is One Foundation, which was written by the English poet and hymnist Samuel John Stone in 1866. The lyrics of this hymn were inspired by the words of the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, where Paul says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Those lyrics go this way. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Amen. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. Listen, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, not James Cone, Not Martin Luther King Jr., not Kelly Brown Douglas, not Gustavo Gutierrez, not any other social justician or black liberation theologian. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ and him alone. And I'll close with this statement. I want to close with statement number 28 from the Belgian Confession of Faith from 1561 because I think this wraps up perfectly, Omaha. What we've been trying to emphasize here in this episode on woke worship. Statement 28 of the Belgic Confession of 1561 states that everyone is bound to join himself to the church. That statement goes on to say this, quote, I think this is awesome. We believe since this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved and that out of it there is no salvation, that no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be ought to withdraw himself to live in a separate state from it, but that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with it, maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren, according to the talents God has given them. And that this may be the more effectually observed, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from all those who do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation, wheresoever God has established it, even though the magistrates and edicts of princes were against it, yea, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment therefore all those who separate themselves from the same or do not join themselves to it act contrary to the ordinance of God unquote that's from the Belgian Confession of 1561 and the reason why I wanted to read that and close with that Omaha is to sort of amplify your point that the church is one body we are one in Christ, and as we live under that reality, all these other
0: issues are settled in Christ. Amen. Amen. Ethan, you want to say to close us yeah. out, bro? I'll add this and close us out. We're grateful for the opportunity to come and join you. Our thought process behind doing this was, to, was for the edification of the unity of the body. Of Christ as we unpack the issue of woke worship. It's been a pleasure to have you join with us. We're grateful for the opportunity. Join us next time for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. The Just
1: Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ centered, gospel focused, and theologically challenging program. That boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia... The Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting his church and his people. Subscribe to The Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.